Angela, I'm delighted that you've actually agreed to talk to us um, about life back in the 70s. Um, I thought I ought to start with asking, when did you actually start in psychiatry? Oh, in 1963. Some time ago. And the college was forming in the late 60s. Um, but I gather you were in North Wales when during that time. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. So how did you get to hear of the college's proposed model? Um, I think from Professor Linford Rees, yeah. who was Prof at Barts at the time, and Professor Ken Ronsley, who was Prof at Cardiff at the time. And they presumably weren't too fond of what the college was proposing. They, they weren't fond at all of what the college was proposing. And um, they were finding it very difficult. Um, it, right. it got very unpleasant, I, I regret to tell you. Okay. You, so you got to join the group of junior doctors. Um, how did you find out about that group? Um, I, I think almost certainly through Professor Linford Rees. Okay. And I think, I'm not sure whether he was at Barts or whether he was still at the Maudsley at the time. I have no idea. Um, he, he may have still been at the Maudsley, I'm not sure. Okay. When, as in Sunday thinking, in that time, how did you actually, how did the group actually meet up? Because you didn't have email, you didn't have phone easily. How did the group of, of trainees, how did you actually meet up together? Well, um, I, I was told, I, I, I was given the link to David Goldberg. And um, <clears throat> so that was going on. The other thing was, I, I also, at that time, um, knew another trainee who eventually became a professor, that was Jim Watson. Um, so I was in touch with him as well, and um, they, they, David told me that he was with some others organising a bus. This was the final meeting that we had in Plymouth. You see, each time they seemed to try and hold the meeting further and further away from London in the West Country. Um, in other words, putting it in the extremity of the country, so it was very difficult for people from the north to come down. Um, uh, so, but it didn't work because, you know, we, we showed up at every meeting. Um, so what did you want from, what did you want from the college at that time? Well, it, it, it's, it, I'll, I'll make it simple. Um, the, the college was mimicking the Royal College of Physicians. And we felt that was a very bad system, that it was an old boys club, more or less. They only passed, no matter what people got on an exam, they only passed so many every year, which we thought was pretty outrageous way of behaving. And to join the college, you just had to pass an exam. You didn't have to give any other evidence at all. And we as junior doctors, especially some of us who'd had experience of being not in London or at the Maudsley or Bethlehem, 
um, that if you wanted to raise the whole standard of psychiatry throughout the country, if you had a curriculum that had to be followed and it was national and uh, it was over a period of, of minimum, a minimum of two years you had to have done with this curriculum, you couldn't sit your exam until you could give evidence about the training that you'd received. So this was to improve training throughout the country. Yes. And by that, we'd be raising the whole standard of psychiatry throughout the country. Oh. Um, <coughs> so we thought it was very important to do this. We also didn't like this idea that only a certain percentage could pass each year, that, that it ought to be that if somebody passed the exam, they passed the exam. We thought that I had... We thought this is just a way of generating money for people to have to keep taking their exam. We thought this was quite wrong. So these were the issues that we had. So it was, I hadn't really thought of that. Yes, so the basically you were wanting the college to actually have formal training schemes around the country and to inspect them. That's right, absolutely, yeah. I hadn't thought of the fact that the, the College of Physicians was not doing that at the time. No, it wasn't. Yeah. No, nothing, nothing, in fact, nothing. Um, at that time, of course, there was the Royal Medical Psychological Association, the RMPA, uh, and very, very few junior doctors were members. Um, it was quite difficult to get time off to attend the meetings. I was fortunate because... Um, uh, I, as a junior doctor, uh, I was surrounded by people like um, Linford Reese, Ken Rawlsley, and my uh, immediate boss consultant um, had been at the Bethlehem and Maudsley, and he was very keen, um, you know, on training. He was already running a system at the North Wales Hospital to train junior doctors, so <clears throat> that was very, 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 very good. And through them, I joined the RMPA, but I was very aware when I went to meetings that, that they, were, they were all consultants at the meetings. It was rare to have another junior doctor there. It's interesting because, as an aside, I've just been looking at the creation of the Southwest Division. And it was created by Peter MacDonald, who was the consultant at Dorset. And his argument was that the big central meetings were very inaccessible for junior doctors and having divisional meetings would enable junior doctors to attend. Right, right. So that's why the Southwest Division, as the first division of England and Wales, actually happened, yes? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm very aware that um, the events about the creation of the college have been recorded in the book 150 Years Psychiatry and you recently made a fairly detailed video about it. So I'm pleased that, that the model that the trainees wanted um, arose and it won through. But I was interested in some other bits which weren't really discussed at that time. How did you find the college hierarchy when you actually discussed dissent? <laughs> well, it was very uh, threatening, actually. Um, I, I mean, really, really threatening. Um, 
there was an occasion which I personally wasn't at, um, but um, my colleagues that were in this, this group told me they were more or less lined up against the wall and, and told, you know, that if they didn't behave themselves, they wouldn't be getting jobs in the future. Yeah. It was, it, it got to that. And um, very interesting, when, when we met up recently, it turned out that um, the those of us who are in that video, we all went to the States. Mm. We all got ourselves jobs in the States mm. Mm. In, in case the worst happened. Um, but, um, you know, that was very sad, really. But it, it, that's the level it got to. Okay. Um, when the college was formed, I mean, do you think you were actually welcomed into it? Well, we, 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 uh, whether my experience was the same as others, I don't know. But remember, I already, um, you know, had these professors that agreed with what we were doing and was very, very supportive. So I, I think I probably was shielded from quite a lot. But people like um, David Goldberg, who had been a junior doctor with... Um, Will Sargent. I mean, I think he, you know, was really under threat and um, very unpleasant. But um, when the college actually formed, um, the people that had wanted to be president didn't weren't successful in being president, and their influence evaporated quite quickly okay. because they hadn't got their way. Uh, and so that that was good that 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 happened. I mean, we. We were sad, we didn't want to be unkind to older colleagues, but unfortunately it had to happen. Yeah. Okay. So in the end, do you think it affected you getting your consultant job? What you done? Um, well, interestingly, I, I actually, believe it or not, got my consultant job before the college was formed. Ah. Uh, I actually got it during the process very unexpectedly although looking back i suppose it wasn't um at the time when i got it i my boss encouraged me to apply because he said it would be really good experience for you to go through that process mm. never expecting to get the job but when i look back on it um i have to tell you three people that were on the appointments committee were the people who were already supporting me and um i was the only woman that applied against about eight men so you know really I have to say I was very fortunate that the um, men that I was um, in, involved with because uh, Linford Reese and Ken Ronsley jointly were supervising my research and then my own boss um, had been um, uh, uh, had worked with Linford Reese in the past. He'd been a junior doctor with Linford Reese. So I think, I think I was really fortunate. They were not against women at all. And I think that, I mean, I may have been almost appointed because I was a woman. I don't know. I hope not. I hope, I hope I was the best candidate. I'm sure you were. I'm sure you were. Um... So in actual fact, it's just before the college, I, I was appointed, um, very soon before the college was actually formed, much to my surprise and delight, I have to say. So you went to, became consultant at Bodmin in St Lawrence's Hospital. 
And certainly from our initial descriptions and discussions about it, it's clear to me it hadn't changed for many years. And the attitudes then that you met then probably reflected much of what had been happening for the last 50 years. In oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if I'd talk a bit more about what St Lawrence's was like when you first joined it. Um, roughly, how big was it, do you reckon? How many patients? Oh, it, it, a thousand, oh, 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 well over, over a thousand beds. And there, uh, and, no, and, and there was always empty beds. There was never a problem for a patient to be admitted. Okay. And on the wards, I mean, how individual was it? Was there any privacy there or? There was, there was no privacy and people didn't even have their own clothes. I, I found this all, um, I was absolutely horrified by the lack of privacy and the fact that, I mean, this sounds shocking, you know, that you didn't even have your own knickers or your own underpants. I mean, things were washed, don't get me wrong. Um, they had, that was one of the um, joys of the hospital. They had the most fantastic laundry and lots of patients worked the laundry. In fact, it was 90% of the laundry were the patients working there, working the laundry. Um, so people's clothes were clean, but they didn't have their own clothes. And um, my normal experience is that then you found that they weren't they're often boiled washed and they shrink. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, things were, were shapeless and colourless. And um, so it was very difficult for people to make themselves smart and attractive. Okay. And yeah. what was the food like? The food actually was very good. Um, in fact, um, I don't know if you know, Camborne College at that time was one of the leading catering colleges in the country along with um, Torquay and Westminster. And um, St. Lawrence's was uh, an absolute beacon for um, people training in um, catering for large numbers. So we always had placements from Camborne, so we were regularly inspected by the examiners. Uh, the food was excellent. A lot of the food was grown in the market garden. And, um, you know, we had a farm at that time as well. So a lot of the meat would have gone to the um, local abattoir and was local meat. It was, the food was very good. And you, I know the patients basically ran the hospital in the sense of... Well, they, they did. They worked, they worked in every department, the patients. Yeah. But when you went to the chronic wards, would patients still be sitting around a lot? Or would they yes, just... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 it was a whole mishmash. Um, there was, the only division was between men and women. There was all female wards and all male wards. And the nursing staff, likewise, you know, there'd be a chief male nurse for the men and a matron for the women. And um, uh, But the, there was no um, separation through diagnosis except there was an elite part of the hospital where um, uh, people with new um, depressive illnesses would be admitted. And this was, you know, completely different from the... In fact, it was... Even it was a quarter of a mile up the road, uh, mm. away from the big main hospital, uh, and was, you know, very, very elite. But the rest of the hospital, down the road, was these great big wards... Um, with no, no separation of diagnosis at all. 
Did any of the staff actually live on the wards? No. No, the staff didn't live on the wards. Whole families worked. It was it was the biggest industry in Bodmin, and whole families would work at the hospital. Um, the the nurses all wore uniforms, um, so that that was you know very much. Um, doctors wore white coats. Yes, so it was very much a medical institutional feel to it. Oh, absolutely. Having said that. <clears throat> There were some very good things about St. Lawrence's, um, even at that time, um, you know, because there was the farm, there was the market garden, there was the laundry, there was the printing works, there was the baby pants manufacturers, there was the name tape department that made name, name tapes. Um, so there were these sort of like industrial um, things. There was another department that packed screws and nuts and bolts and all that sort of thing. So. People, some people had quite nice jobs um, that, that were able to function. Um, and of course, the laundry and the kitchen and cleaning um, was all done by patients. Um, so in that sense, and then they also had clubs like um, Women's Institute, you know, would be able to have a Women's Institute club. Um, and then they did have things like um, table tennis and um, billiards. Um, they had an entertainment hall. Um, so I I think actually St. Lawrence's probably provided a lot more um, useful occupation, giving a quality to life than a lot of hospitals. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. My impression is that lots of the hospitals were still running those sort of departments, um, certainly the farming and so forth, because it was a way of keeping the prices down, the costs down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it does raise how much people were kept in occupation then. Um, I mean, in a way, I, 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 it, it, it was, um, you know, they weren't paid. So it, it, was, it was slave labour, really. Oh, totally, totally. You know, so I mean, the, ethically, there were things about it that weren't right at all. Okay, that's very true. Was there a doctor's mess? There was a doctor's mess. Um, I, I think that was a really good thing. Um, you know, it didn't matter what people were doing at 10.30. Everything stopped and we went for coffee. Everything stopped at one o'clock for lunch. Um, we had our own dining room, um, you know, afternoon tea. And it, it didn't matter what you were doing. It, it, it stopped and the doctors all met together. And I think that was really good because it was good both from a medical point of view of discussing things and also socially. Um, I, I, I think it's been a real retrograde step not having a doctor's mess. I mean, was there any formal teaching for the trainees at that time? Well, um, uh, that was one of the things that I introduced because I'd had that benefit myself. And so I actually started that when I went to the hospital and um, only once a month and I would get colleagues that I knew um, from up country to come down and do, do a, you know, a special teaching session all day. Um, so we did start that. But before then, there was no formal teaching? Not know. really. Uh, it depended on um, if, if a consultant was interested to teach their junior, quite frankly. Okay. And how were the wards arranged in the hospital? Um, were, was there any specialisation on the wards? No, there wasn't. Only in the elite part of the hospital um, 
uh, was there any, you know, where people would come with, say, major depressive disorder and have ECT uh, and have a period in the hospital. But no, otherwise, there were chronic, these large chronic wards with no differentiation. So you could have people with what we would call dementia now and schizophrenia and a chronic treatment resistant depression all all in the same ward. Okay. And I gather you were given the chronic wards to look after. Oh, yes. I mean, for me, um, I think they were all very surprised because, um, you know, my coming along as the most junior consultant was given what they considered to be the dross. Uh, but for me, my personality, it was perfect, you know, to sort this out. So <laughs> I was very happy. They couldn't understand why I was so happy. Uh, and what about... Did you manage to change much, do you think? Oh, yes, I did. Um, the first thing, um, I um, did, it, did it a ward at a time and, um, uh, you know, would, would um, separate people by diagnosis and um, start to have active treatment because by that time we did have quite a few treatments. Um, uh, and so I enjoyed that and I started um, the first supported domestic house via the local branch of mind um, i was very lucky the only place with um uh, a branch of mind was the area that i looked after um and so you know that was exciting to do that um and then the the medical um superintendent's house was empty and so i got a group of patients couldn't do this nowadays of course to go in and decorate it and clean it and we pinch furniture from all around the hospital and that was our first rehab ward. Um, so, you know, for a young doctor, you know, full of energy, enthusiasm, it was all very exciting doing this. And you almost had the power to do it. Um... Oh, yes. Uh, I, I was very fortunate. Um, the um, hospital secretary was, um, you know, he, he was enjoying it and he was pretty powerful. And um, one of the other things I did was um, I said, look, you know, this library we have here is 100 years old and these books are interesting. We'd only get rid of them, but they're not what we need now. And I said, we need money to buy so many books a month and we need to start getting modern journals. Um, and he was all up for this. And I don't know where he pinched the money from, but we started a library, both for the doctors and the nurses, I have to say so that we got books for them as well and so we started to build a library um and you see all that was exciting for somebody you know a new consultant yeah, yeah I so agree. so to me you know it was it was it was lovely that there was all these lovely things to do mm. and i i one of the fir other first specialisms i started was the psychogeriatric service and um that that was exciting because um in my particular area, which was Mid-Cornwall, we had a lovely um, consultant physician and he um, and I set up a ward, which wasn't at St Lawrence's, but in um, the local um, cottage hospital, for want of a better word, which was a joint assessment unit, so that when elderly people presented, we, they would go in for three weeks to have a complete medical and psychological overhaul um and we would you know really that was enjoyable for both of us um 
so you know that was an enjoyable thing setting up a psychogeriatric service um i mean it was it was endless you see and then you could go on to for me say well we'll have a community nursing service and it was just creating one interesting thing after another really um so i i think i was you know really lucky to be appointed at that time and nobody interfering and stopping you doing what you want to do um so you couldn't do all that now you just wouldn't be allowed to but this is very much a hospital job was there a community service no but i i i was very keen on us doing that we used to have um in every area of cornwall there was it was divided up into 10 areas one outpatient clinic a week so there was the start of a community service in cornwall at that time because there was outpatient clinics yeah. and that that was the start of it but this was very much people going out from the hospitals to yes hospitals. the consultants would go out and would go and hold a clinic but there weren't any nurses out there no, no, not at the, not at that time. It would have just been a consultant going out. So, what happened for out of hours? I mean, if someone needed admission, what would happen? A GP would phone. Oh, uh, the consultants all took it in turns to be on duty, hmm. and the GP would phone phone the consultant. No problem in admitting people. There was always beds. No problem at all. You would. Um, just admit them and um, really just almost GP said, you know, they need admission, they'd come in and then be assessed. Um, okay. there, there was no problem at all. And would you be doing home visits to do that? Yes, we, 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 we started doing domiciliary visits linked to the outpatient clinics. Um, but if yes, that some, started to happen. If a GP asked somebody to come in at night, for example, would they normally come in without someone having seen them before, or? Oh, yes, you could e easily come in the hospital without um, anybody seeing you before, if you were willing to come. Yeah. Uh, if a GP said, you know, I think so-and-so needs to come in and they, they want to come in, no problem at all. Okay, yes. Every, but, but the GPs um, knew their patients extremely well, would know the whole family, whole social setup um you could completely rely on them uh, that they would only be asking if it was necessary okay and if they did come in say at night would there be junior doctors on call for the hospital yes there would there would be somebody to receive them to um make sure that physically they were not going to die during the night but the real assessment happened the next morning Yes, and then the assessment would happen later, yeah. And well, I have to say, we had some wonderful nurses, really wonderful nurses, um, who would have looked after those patients in their distress during the night, you know. Um, so uh, the junior doctor, it wasn't, wasn't too onerous. They would just have to check them over physically, and then the nurses would take over. A lot of people have told me that at this time it would be very much the person would go on the ward, it'd be the nurses who dealt with things initially, and the doctors did fairly minor stuff to start with. And it was really only later that the consultant and the junior doctors would really assess them. It was very much the nurses who ran the ward. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Out of interest, did you have any other chronic wards where the patients ran the ward? No, we didn't. No. Because I know no. in some hospitals that did happen. Uh, no, no, we didn't didn't have that. Okay. And finally, I mean, do you think that the patients and residents there got better or worse care than they do now? And why? Well, <clears throat> it's different. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, one of the things that was really good was the continuity of care. There was a real continuity of care, which was, that was good. Um, but when I first went to the hospital, there were people who really, their care, I think, would now be considered to be abysmal. They'd only really be reassessed once a year. And, you know, that was, and it, and it was quite perfunctory. Yes. So, um there wasn't an attitude of people having treatment and getting better and leaving the hospital. There was an attitude of, well, you're in hospital for life. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was in the, in the main part of the hospital. And I don't know if you know, but the first part of St. Lawrence's to be built was called the Radial Building, and it was based on Dartmoor Prison, Yes. with a central observation unit and with spokes going off. So a minimum of sort of um, in interaction, you know, really. Um, so there were some things about it that were very bad indeed. Um, it's, it, what was that like actually having patients on that radial system? It, it was... It was pretty horrible because one, they were in a goldfish bowl, so they were, you know, could there was no privacy whatsoever. Um, so you're being, you know, watched the whole time. So that created a a, a very unpleasant atmosphere. I think um, it it wasn't good. So there, there were things that were we would consider now to be absolutely appalling. Um, and you see, there was no consent to treatment or anything. Um, you know, people weren't, you know, they weren't, things weren't discussed with the patients or um, they weren't involved in, in really their, their treatment. You know, it was, it, it there, were, there were things that now we would just not even dream of. And uh, I mean, people were, uh, their their freedoms were limited with no checks or balances whatsoever. Were the wards still locked when you... A lot of wards were still locked, yes. Yeah, not all, but a lot were. Mm -hmm. And people had these e enormous keys, you know, which were a bit like a prison, you know, um, quite ominous, really. Um, no, I can believe that it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, and, and you know, you've, trying to change people's attitudes, you, you can't do it overnight. Uh, I found that very, very difficult, you know. Um, I was quite sort of hot-headed and, um, uh, you know, initially I was, I, I would imagine I was like a bull in a china shop to start with, but I soon, soon learned that wasn't the way. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much, Angela, for talking about this. Um, 
I'll good luck with the rest of your career. <laughs> well, it's still very exciting, and there's that's something I would always want to pass on to junior doctors. Um, uh, uh, you know, it 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 can be exciting forever, and. Um, I, I think to enjoy your work, um, you know, if you're looking for that excitement all the time, you 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 will enjoy it. You won't get burnt out. That's very very true. Yeah. Well, 